Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our Sunday service and welcome also those who are joining us online. I'll read from Rays of the One Light, which are weekly commentaries on the Bible and Bhagavad Gita. This week is The Importance of Soul Receptivity. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Chapter 1 of the Gospel of St. John states, But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. There, this was a passage that Paramahansa Yogananda often quoted to his disciples. Be in tune, he would tell them. Delusion can't touch you if you will keep in tune. A few of you will fall, he said once, but it needn't be if you would stay in tune. Of a disciple who had become highly advanced, even though she didn't meditate much, he said she got there by attunement. To one who found meditation difficult, he said, I will meditate for you as long as you stay in tune. Now don't take that as free license. <laughs> Truth is a state of consciousness, not a well-worded definition. It is in that consciousness above all that our lives are transformed. Therefore, the Bhagavad Gita says in the 10th chapter, to those who are ever attached to me and who worship me with love, I impart discernment by means of which they attain me. Out of my love for them, I, the divine within them, set alight in them the radiant lamp of wisdom, thereby dispelling the darkness of their ignorance. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, Om. Thank you, Darshan. Well, I also want to welcome you and to thank all of you for this wonderful experience that we've just been through of Inner Renewal Week. It's been really a blessing, I think, for all of us. And just to come together with such sincere, deep devotion with a large group of people like this, it's really a remarkable experience. And I also want to thank all of the many people who made this week happen so smoothly with all the many, many details that went, in, went into it. So thank you all. And um, I know things like this have a very profound effect, not only on those of us here or those of us watching online, but really to uplift the consciousness of many more people. So let's start by reading this beautiful prayer demand from Whispers from Eternity. 
Tune us that we may hear thy voice. Volumes of thy Savior voice resounded through the loudspeaker of every loving heart. The voice of thy wisdom roams through the ether of space, seeking everywhere hearts that are tuned to ecstasy. Sadly, thy warning sermons pass unheard by souls deafened with the static of sense pleasures. O divine broadcaster, tune our souls, long distracted by the static of our indifference. Fine-tune us with a delicate touch of soul perception. Grant us the privilege of hearing thy magic melodies in the ecstasy of divine awakening. That's a very beautiful one. We mentioned earlier in the week that we were very fortunate to be present in India when Swamiji, Swami Kriyananda, was writing, uh, editing master's commentaries on the Bhagavad Gita. He was living at his house, which, we, which was known as Guru Kripa, Grace of the Guru, in Gargan, India, which is a suburb of Delhi. And we had gone there to visit him, uh, not knowing that he had, was planning to work on this major, major opus of his. And it was really thrilling because if you recall from the new path when Swami was a young disciple with Master, uh, Master had him come out to the 29 Palms Desert Retreat and told him that his work was editing writing and lecturing and he also told him he wanted him to work on the Rubaiyat and the Gita with him. So after Master finished writing uh, the Gita commentaries, this was in I think 1950, he had, his Master had Swamiji join him and they worked on the manuscript together. But then life ensued and Master passed, Swami left SRF, was asked to leave SRF, and time went by, decades went by, but Swami never forgot that Master had asked him to work on those commentaries. And then some nearly 50 years later, Swamiji was living in India and he felt it was the time to do it. I'm sure he sensed on some level that the years of the sands in the hourglass of his life were slowly moving down to the lower globe of the hourglass and he knew he had to do it and he prayed to master and he said how I want to do this for you master you asked me to do this for you but how can I do it without the manuscript and then he had a dream at that time in which master appeared to him and blessed him and said don't forget the possibility of a skylight And Swami didn't know what he meant really at first. But what Master was saying was the skylight of divine grace that if you open yourself up with courage, I will give you this. And Swami began working on it. And and he, he said it was so thrilling because even though it had not been consciously in his memory 
as he went through verse by verse, he remembered, if not word for word, concept by concept for all the many, many verses of the Gita. There are hundreds of them, but he remembered Master's words, and that was the skylight. And we were living, Tatish and I were living in a little uh, outside porch, actually, on the roof of Swami's house. And it's where he wanted us to live. And, um, <laughs> and his office was, it was right off his office. So we could see the light go on all hours of day and night. And we knew he was in there working. And he, he had a big desk, quite big. And Lakshman re- will remember as well. And it was just covered with different translations, not commentaries, but translations of the Bhagavad Gita because he didn't speak Sanskrit or read Sanskrit, so he couldn't go to the original. And what Master used, of course, was the translation by Edward uh, Fitzgerald, which, Arnold, excuse me, yeah, Edward Fitzgerald, or, anyway, Edward Arnold, thank you. Um, and which was, Master said it was the best he could find of a translation, but it wasn't perfect yet. And so it was so beautiful to watch Swami work with this process of attunement, attunement to get the commentaries, but also not even being able to read Sanskrit. He had many translations, and he would say, one of which was Edward Arnold, but he would say, no, this one's too intellectual. This one misses the subtle nuances of what's really being said. And then finally, he just said, Master, please give me the translations that you want to be used. And so he, he wrote translations of the Gita from Sanskrit, not really speaking it or reading it, but simply by attunement, the power of attunement. And I remember personally speaking, I first came upon the Gita when I was probably uh, 17 years old, 17 or 18. And I remember reading it, um, and just knew that that was what I was looking for in my life, those teachings. And, um, but it, the translation was hard to work through. The one I was working with was a different one than I mentioned. And then when Swami did his translation, and it's published as a little book, just as the Gita, come, Gita translation, it was, it was a I knew it was right. I knew this was the song of God that had been sung so long ago and is still the song that keeps India filled with divine consciousness. It's just part of the vibration of that country. And so Jyotish read what we have from Rays of the One Light, but I went back to Swami's translation and His is much more beautiful, those two verses only that we just read, and much more filled with meaning. And so this is where we'll depart and what we're going to talk about today. This is chapter 10, verse 10 and 11. To those who are attached only to me and worship me with love, I impart that discernment of wisdom by which they attain me completely. Out of pure compassion, that is, out of the selfless gift of love, with no admixture of compulsion, 
I, the Divine One who dwells in all, sets a light in their hearts, the blazing lamp of wisdom, which banishes their darkness of ignorance. Now what's particularly different in this translation, and it's a very, very important point for all of us who have spent, some of us, the better part of our life as devotees, but certainly all of us have spent some time on the spiritual path, is that he, he, he says, Krishna says in this verse, out of pure compassion, without any compulsion, I alight in them the discernment that brings them out of delusion. And the important point here, and Swami goes on to talk about this in his Gita comment, Master's Gita Commentaries, is that we don't earn, we don't earn that grace, that nothing we do, oh, I've done this many kriyas, I've meditated these many hours, I've done this much tapasya, etc., etc. We don't earn that compassion. Because think about it, when you see someone struggling, when you feel compassion for another person, maybe they deserve it, maybe they don't. But it's a spontaneous feeling that arises from the heart. And that's the same how God sees us. It's a spontaneous feeling where he said, I feel your love for me. It's nothing you do will add or take away from that. It just is. I feel compassion for you because you are my child. And I see you suffering in delusion. And so we need to understand that the process then... The compassion, we draw that compassion by the simplicity of our love for God, not by any great accomplishments that we may achieve. And that compassion then draws attunement. It draws that grace which brings attunement, I should say. And so that process, just starting out with our devotion, drawing the compassion of God. That compassion lights the lamp of discernment within us. And thence comes attunement. And with attunement, as we read Master saying, you will get there by attunement alone. And, but it starts with the simplicity and purity of our own devotion. So, again, there's that expression which is fun, bringing coals to Newcastle. Everyone in this room has, we all share devotion. I don't need to tell you about it. I don't need to describe it. You wouldn't be sitting here if you didn't have love for God in your heart or you wouldn't be listening to us share these teachings. But how do we keep our devotion steady? I was meditating on this the other morning and I thought, You know, I I do pretty well for selected periods of time. I keep going like this because this is the wavering flame of devotion. (laughs) The image was in my mind. I realized it wasn't quite clear. But I, I do quite well with limited periods of time. But then I get distracted and I forget. And so how do we keep the candle flame of our devotion strong and steady that we draw the compassion which brings the lighting of that light of wisdom within us, which brings attunement. 
And I think, first of all, we need to realize we need to protect that little candle flame. If you go out in a big wind with a lighted match or a candle, it's quickly gone. And what is that wind that disturbs the steadiness of our devotion? It's our worldly thoughts and karma. It's our restlessness. Oh, what about this and what about that? And, and we forget. But we need to protect that flame. It's so, in a sense, it's so fragile. I mean, a flame is something so immaterial. And wind, which we can't even see, a breath can blow it out. And so with that fragility of, of that flame and to protect it by keeping your thoughts always moving in that direction. You know, Master said that life is really a succession of three qualities. It's happiness or success or reaching some achieved goal. And then it's dejection or suffering or loss. But in between, he said, there's boredom. How do we keep our devotion alive through, if that's all life is, up, down, flat. How do we keep our devotion strong? How do, we, how do we keep our thoughts always going to God in those three conditions? Well, you know, when things are going poorly, when we're suffering, when we've gotten bad news, when nothing seems to be working right, in a way, those are good times because we always think of God then. You know, as they say, there are no atheists in the foxholes in a war. When things are going bad, we say, help me, help me. And so in a way, that's good karma. We have a, a friend who's been in prison for a long time, for 30 years, for a crime he didn't commit. And in that period of time, he has really transformed himself into a saint. And I, I've often, we go to visit him from time to time. And Jatish went at a certain point and was able to give him Kree initiation. And I've often thought if he hadn't have had the karma, the very bad karma to be in that situation, he probably would not have become a devotee. He would have been a very successful person in the world. But good karma, bad karma. So when things are bad, we automatically think of God. The second hardest thing is when things are good that we think of God. Instead of, oh, great, look what happened. Just to never, some part of you, always be a little detached and say, God, this is only from you. It's only your love. I would watch that in Swamiji, that even when things would be, just some wonderful thing would happen, he never got emotionally ruffled. It was always that I could tell, he, as much as I could, it was always in reference to Master, God and Guru, oh, look what you've given me out of your grace. And so when things good happen, if you can train yourself immediately to think, thank you, this is from you, and let me share it with you. Let me share it with all in that spirit. But then the hardest of all is to remember God in the flat boredom, when it's just neither good nor bad, great or terrible. 
but just one might say we talked about the drudgery of everyday life. How, but that truly is the most important time because if we can catch our thoughts, our devotion, and when things, okay, another day, what do I have to do, this and that, then I've got to go here, this appointment, that, and there's nothing particularly good or bad, it just is. But if in those moments, when we're not being pushed one way or the other, if we can really begin training our minds to think, first thing in the morning, just a regular, ordinary day, a Tuesday. Tuesdays are kind of, you know, Monday we have to get started, but Tuesdays, uh, okay. <laughs> Just that Tuesday, Swami has a wonderful affirmation, not affirmation, but a saying in um, Living Wisely, Living Well. It's one of my favorites. I think it's February 19th, but it's February. He, he said, today is your, is your friend. God gave it to you to be happy in. And so if first thing, wake up. Today is my friend. And then, if nothing is particularly good or particularly bad, think of all the time we have to think about God. We don't have to be reacting. I'm driving in my car, and it's just regular old day. But now I can really concentrate on you. As someone, a friend of mine, when I ask them how they're doing, same old, same old. But same old, same new. Make it new. Make it fresh. Make it this day. As I'm washing the dishes, I, I can think about you with all my love and all my devotion. And if we can do that, we've conquered the whole of life. We have found a way to keep our devotion protected from restlessness and moods and discouragement and elation and all those things that keep us from that razor edge of divine awareness. And I think we've all had the experience. That's why Swami called, our master called his book Whispers from Eternity. Just that little voice that comes in your mind. You don't know where it comes from. But it's so sweet and it's so loving and it's so compassionate. And the more we become aware of that voice, that's why attunement Tuning in to that radio station that's the most subtle of all broadcasts, the whispers from eternity that are coming right now. Master's talking to each one of us right now as we sit here. But we're distracted because we have to listen to that lady in the blue robe. <laughs> but if you can always keep some part of your mind attached and just say, my love for you is ever protected behind the ramparts of my constant awareness. And that's really all it is. The ramparts of constant awareness protecting your devotion. And then that's what draws, as we've been saying, the compassion that draws the discernment, that draws attunement. And with that attunement, the whole world opens up into a wonderland of divine experience but one, another aspect, too, of keeping our devotion strong is to realize where does that devotion even come from? Is it something we create? Is it something we whip up our emotions to? Swami has that beautiful line in his song, What is Love? 
Surely we, children of this world, could not love by our own powers. So let's try to remember when you feel devotion, when you feel love for God, go behind that experience and try to feel, I'm not loving you, God. When I feel that, it's you who are loving me. And then just offer that devotion at the feet of God, because that's the truth. Any upward movement of energy comes from God. And our love for him is really just try to bring those two together, our love for God and his love for us or her love for us, because they're really one and the same thing. They're not different. And the more we can realize that, Every rising thought filled with love for God is a miracle. It's, it's as much a miracle as if Master would appear before us in the body right now. Because it's, it's his presence. But we, we think it's ours. We think, oh, I have so much love for God. But it's just God is trying to draw us to him. A friend of mine from India just this morning sent me this quote, and I thought, well, this is too good not to share and too timely. And this is from Ananda Moima. You think that you are engaging in sadhana, but actually it is he who does everything. Without him, nothing can be done. And if you imagine that you receive according to what you do, this is not correct. For God is not a merchant. With him, there is no bargaining. So it's the same thought, isn't it? We don't earn it. We don't rest from God, his grace, because of some great thing we've done. It's just the simplicity of keeping that flame of our love protected, strong, feeding it with little the oil of our constant awareness, our constant attention, and being mindful that that love is the great, the love we feel for God is his greatest gift to us. You know, Master used to love that chant, and it's on one of the recordings of his voice. Uh, I believe it's Bengali. But it, he says, um, the Divine Mother is saying, to the devotee, O oh, devotee, I can give you salvation, but not my love and devotion, because when I give that away, I give myself away. And of course, it's a, there's you know sweet irony in that statement, because Divine Mother doesn't diminish by giving us her love. But to understand that I can give you experiences in meditation, I can give you samadhi, I can give you all these things, but the greatest gift I have is to awaken in you that love which comes from my heart to your heart because that's who I am. And so I think most of you know, Jyotish and I will be leaving on Tuesday to go to India for six weeks and we'll be doing a lot of teaching there, starting off in Singapore, Delhi, Gorgon, Mumbai, Pune, Bangalore, Chennai, and then coming home, coming back. But in this time we've had together, this lifetime in this community, 
there have been such a foundation of unity of purpose, of shared devotion, shared dedication. And it's so, it's such a blessing for all of us to be a part of this experience and to watch all of you, my guru bhais, our guru bhais, grow in your depth of spiritual commitment, grow in your desire to live ever more in attunement with Master's Ray. And we will keep you in our prayers. We will keep this great community in our prayers and all of you. And I know that as the future unfolds, through the attunement we have with Master, we will come step by step holding the candle of our devotion to oneness with Him and to be useful to our fellow men in their search as well. So God bless you all. Mm-hmm.